Hi, my name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Samia VC, I sat down with Gil Herrera. He worked at an ed tech startup called Yogomet before becoming a digital transformation specialist at a Mexican-based petroleum giant. Then he worked on the growth team at Y Combinator-backed e-commerce startup Glitzy before becoming product growth specialist at the Coinbase of Latin America, Bitso. We discussed why Brazil is way more banked than Mexico, why there's a lack of Web3 regulation in Latin America. We discussed why Gil, who's from Mexico City, decided to move to Sao Paulo before starting his startup, and why he thinks Sao Paulo is the future capital of Latin American venture capital and technology. Learn all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Gil, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Dancia? Yeah. Hello, Trip. Uh, thanks for having me. So yeah, for sure. I have been building tech companies for the past decade, and it has been a hell of a ride. The first company that I had the chance to work for uh, was called Yogomi. And it, it had a sad story, unfortunately, uh, because it closed uh, because of fraud. If you search for, for Yogomi, you will end up uh, reading some interesting uh, bits of, of news from different outlets. But the, the thing is that it was an educational games company for, for children, educational games for children. And I was the first hire for growth. I was in charge of, of building all the customer journey uh, maps and and all the communication flows in order to to try to convert as many customers as possible and to keep the the customers that we already have uh, to keep to to have them keep on on buying the subscription. So we played with different business, different pricing models, different. Uh, different promotions and just different ways in which we crafted the customer journey. And it was super interesting because you had two sets of customers. You had on one side the children who had to find it appealing and interesting enough, but also the parent who had to understood that the child was actually learning from that. So that was a, a great challenge because we we got to the point that we understood how we could engage uh, children, but also how we could communicate the parent that the children or the child was actually learning with the materials and how engaged uh, she or he was. So it, it, it was a super interesting um, problem to solve, but uh, also gave us lots of experience because we were pretty much newbies when we started it. So we had to learn from scratch. I was like within the first 20 employees of the company all the way to series B with 170 employees and offices in, in different cities across the world, but also servicing different markets in Southeast Asia, China, Brazil, Mexico, but pretty much all of the Spanish speaking LATAM and in the US. Then after the company folded, I went and worked for a, an energy company called Natgas which does compress natural gas for cars and I was or vehicles and I was in charge of building a a digital customer acquisition channel and and revamped some of the digital points of contact with the customer which was um, their website and an app and the, it, it was a very interesting journey because I also had to make these company that was built uh, all the, the in this corporate traditional way to understand what I was trying to implement but also how 
the the the, the company would could leverage these digital assets that they had and the impact on the on on the business like how it actually affected the the pnl how we considerably dropped the customer acquisition cost uh compared to the to their the, 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 their street sales uh team but also it, it has some limits to the nature nature of the business as uh, there's only so much you can you can bring uh through the online channel and and i think that's a very interesting challenge challenge in latin america because yeah the there's each uh each year there's a bigger subset of the population that it's being onboarded to the to the online world to the online economy uh but no not ever lives in there and no those on an uh, online acquisition channels aren't so effective for different subsets of the population so we have had to come to learn that it's it's uh the, the most effective way to leverage those channels is a, a mix of in between uh like traditional media and online media so that was a big learning from that and then after that i want to get very bad again into into pure technology um, I got back to studying to to learn a little bit more of, of uh, for example, some database uh, querying languages, so such as SQL, Python. I did a little bit more of of. Uh, but it's funny because back back in the day when I was working at Jogome, I we did a product management because we were tweaking the onboarding, talking to, to the what we were calling back then the business intelligence uh, team, the engineers, the designers, the UX researchers about how we could improve the the onboarding of the apps because we came to understand that was that was like the best moment for us to sell the product. So we were all already doing some sort of, of product management back then. So I decided that it was time for me to to come and, and fill those gaps with uh, some some formal training. And I did a product management uh, certification with product school, which I know it's it's very known in, in the US. And I was recommended to to get a to, to go help at a company called uh, Glitzy, which they do ad computer services in Mexico, in a couple of cities in Mexico. And it was super interesting because it was just about uh, before they began their acceleration program at Y Combinator. So that was very interesting to me and very appealing because I uh, I have always been curious about how how that unfolded. Like how was it pressure wise? Which were their resources available? Because everybody look everybody that I know that has gone through Y Combinator always talks like great stuff about the program but also the net the network that they get to to build uh during and after the the program so it's just a win-win situation and i i came on board uh at glitzy i worked with their referral program i have help also with the paid media because by now I, I already had gone through all the different steps of the traditional sales funnel. And now with these 
new framework from from Andrew Chen as well, like trying to grow to to build these growth loops and this growth engine with with uh, with, with the mindset of how you can leverage everything to to get different multiples of growth rather than just a straight uh, a straight downwards funnel. So. Yeah, that was super interesting, but also I had made lots of, of applications to different tech companies that, that, that appealed to me. And one of those was Bitso and they came knocking on the door and I couldn't say no. So just after we finished uh, Y Combinator, I joined Bitso and it was a great, great, uh, great position for me to be in because the company was growing exponentially. And also was getting back at trying to to enter into Brazil. So initially, I joined the company just the task at hand of rolling out new features, new products, doing the launching strategies. But I, it was funny because I I hadn't even finished my onboarding, and they decided it was um, it was fitting for me to go launch an app. I did. Uh, the the launch of the alpha beta alpha training app which is an app which in which you uh, can trade cryptocurrency and for the, for for all of those who don't know uh, what Bitso is Bitso is pretty much coinbase for latin america it's latin america's biggest cryptocurrency exchange and yeah, because I just talked about it and assumed that everybody knows about it because it's so big down here but uh yeah so I I thought it was it was a uh, super super interesting company, and yeah, I just side sidetracked. But the first the first project that that I, I that I got was to launch this app, and it was funny because they they thought about they had already mapped a a trading challenge for the app. They wanted to to get uh some a certain volume of of trading during a certain certain time window i hadn't even figured out how the company actually worked who did what and so on but they told me okay go do this go figure out how are you gonna deploy the the campaign and you're gonna you're gonna pretty much launch the app uh for for android in mexico and argentina which were uh, back then, our biggest uh, biggest markets. So, uh, yeah, I, I spoke with some of the stakeholders, and it ended up being, and it was a public number, so I feel free to to discuss about this. It it was going to be a forty five million training volume within three three days. So we went out, uh, did the and just through the app, which was a challenge in itself. Uh, we went out and ended up doing fifty one million uh use dollars in trading volume within 30 days so they were super excited about it of course i got some help from the all-time highs within we, that happened in november last year with uh, bitcoin and ethereum but uh yeah so after that they told me okay now you're gonna be in charge of also starting the promotions divisions division within Bitso. so it was exciting uh i was happy because i was I was uh, handed now this greater challenge that the one that I had initially had, but uh, yeah, just like like on on a higher level, I was having like the time of my life 
during during my time at Bitso because I was learning from lots of people who came from different backgrounds, uh, finance, MBAs, other crypto companies, uh, other fi fintech companies. Um, yeah, just people with, with, a, with a great background. And uh, there, there's something that that gave me the, the sense that I was in the right place when there was there there was an emergency. I don't remember if it was December or January last year, but um, th there was some sort of emergency in the company, and they set up this war room. But there was it. it I think it was a Friday, or I I don't recall the day, but it it was a very off uh, day, and it was like 10 p.m. in Mexico, which is like 12 p.m. in Brazil which is where Daniel Vogel is based, the CEO of Brazil. And he was actually writing code in order to solve that. So I thought, where else, uh, which is going to be a better place to, to be than where the actual CEO of the company is throwing lines of code because he's super invested into solving that problem at that precise moment. So yeah, that that that's the, like the... the the level of conviction that I had, <laughs> that I that I was at the right place with Imbitsu. But um, also during that time, I also had been very curious about crypto during the, the past decade. I was able to buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin very early on, like 2014, and also met um, both Daniel and Pablo uh, during that time at a, at a conference in, in Mexico where they had just launched Bitso. And uh, I had seen several iterations of, of different projects so far, but one thing that piqued my curiosity a lot uh, during these, uh, the, uh, the, this winter were stablecoins, especially USD stablecoins and all the projects that were able to, were, were, in which you were able to get uh, yield based on your on your balance either by just holding the balance and staking it or or playing around in in defi and it was uh, it was just a better pro value proposition that uh what you just had which in um with for for example with usd usdt back in 2017 when i know how how experienced people are with with cryptocurrency but this was like the first version of of uh, a stable coin and you just didn't have certainty if it was going to lose the peg if it was going to maintain the value if it was going to go to zero so but but right now you have things like usdc that, that are over collateralized backed by these big institutions so it just make uh, just makes for a very solid value proposition so i got curious about how how you could leverage that that technology and make it available for the masses. And it happened that I also made a, I got very curious as well as in why Bitso wanted to be so big in Brazil. I had never been to the country. So yeah, I just decided to, to buy a plane ticket, go down there, went uh, to the it's a Rio conference, which was great. I had help from from uh, Blue Dao, from uh, which is by backed by uh, a project called Harmony. Uh, shout out to them! Great bunch of of people building uh, great things. And then after that, I 
I decided to head down to Sao Paulo, but it, it just blew my mind. Like the later, I I made some research, but the level of of bankerized of of bank people. Sorry, uh, I, I I mistook the 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 concept, but it's the level of bank people in Brazil. It's like through the roof. The seventy percent of the population is bank. That means a two hundred twelve million uh, people country. So that's like above 145 million who are banked uh, against uh, Mexico, who has 130 pe uh, million people in population, but only like 35 million are banked. So the difference is abysmal. And then after that, you go uh, to a restaurant, you go get some food, and the, the waiter doesn't even ask you, if, or you don't even have to ask the waiter, which is like the regular thing in Mexico, for him to bring the machine to pay with a credit card. They just bring the machine and, I, and ask you if you want to pay uh, debit or credit. And then uh, you go down the, the street in Copacabana, Cabana Beach in, in Rio, and you have people selling out uh, coconut water from a stand, and you can pay as well with a credit card, with a debit card, with PIX through a QR code, and PIX is this, this super, super amazing technology that was developed by the Central Bank of Brazil, which is a payment system, uh, just like regular bank transferences, but uh, on asteroids. You can pay through a QR code, through your phone number. And it just has accelerated uh, the, the dynamic of co of commerce at uh, groundbreaking speed in, in Brazil. So that gave me the insight that if I thought one day about building something, it'd be great if I could go down to Brazil and do it. So that those were like the origins of, of, the, of the initial thesis that I had. And that gave me enough conviction to to tell myself, okay, this might be a good time to to leave bits and go start a company. A company, but uh, it might not it might end uh, not having uh, the best time because, like, literally the couple of days after I left the company, everything started to to just melt down, like the the crypto market with the collapse of Terra Luna, and then. All all the things that were happening within that that they were that were happening within the the public markets and so on so yeah it's it it might not have proved to be to be uh, the best moment but uh it's never the right moment how would you compare the current state of web3 innovation in latin america versus what's happening in the united states yeah that's a great question i think there there's different realities to it because there's the compliance, the, 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 I think compliance is the the greatest barrier to entry for, uh, to build these kind of products. And you see that the regulation is very robust in the US. You have to do compliance with several parties. Whilst in Latin America, even though the, the, there are countries that are totally close to it, you can go all the way to the spectrum to El Salvador, which has a lot of uh, Bitcoin as, as legal tender. I have been able to witness that in person. And it just, it just, uh, it has different, uh, different tones of, of I, I don't know how to say this in English, but uh, just different colors, color scales. 
it goes all the way down to, from, from El Salvador to uh, Brazil, which they are like crypto friendly, but are not like super keen on having uh, just direct competitors to, to the incumbents. And there, there might be like very big interest from the banks for that not to happen, but also it's inevitable, you know? And I think that just Latin America, I, I heard this line at, at, at the recent uh, podcast that Colombia was condemned to succeed. And I think that pretty much uh, Web3 is condemned to be successful in Latin America, or it might be the other way around. Latin America is condemned to be successful by leveraging Web3. In the realm of venture capital, I know you mentioned the bank rate in, in Brazil, but in the realm of venture capital technology, or even if you want to bring in society, what does Argentina and Brazil have that Mexico doesn't? And then what does Mexico have that Argentina and Brazil don't have? Well, I, th I think it, it, it streams down, down as well from the regulation, because for example, fintech, uh, the fintech regulation in Mexico just uh, isn't as well developed as in Brazil, for example. I'm not that familiar with Argentina, but I think that is uh, it's more friendlier because you you have cases like uh, Belo and uh, Lemon Cash, which are have, have been able to actually deploy a card that has crypto in the backend. So I think that's a great value proposition. And in in Mexico, you have companies like Dollar App, which are kind of doing something similar with the constraint from, from the fintech regulation within Mexico. And in Brazil, I, I've listened to some crazy, crazy things that are happening right now. I sat down to, to have coffee with, with lots of entrepreneurs during the past couple of months, and they are doing these credit receivable pools with DeFi, and just crazy, crazy stuff. And I think that... Uh, Venture capital in the scene, like in Mexico, to be honest, uh, they aren't that. That neither that. I I wouldn't say I would say the the word is sophisticated within crypto. So in Mexico, it's tougher. But down in 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 both Argentina and Brazil, they actually know the power and how they could leverage the technology within the current framework, which is friendlier than, than in Mexico. So it's just like the space is trying to, 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 to have these, these companies being uh, funded. But the thing is, the, 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 the caveat is that until April of, of this year, it was way easier to do that because people had more confidence and with my experience during the past couple of months, it has proven to, to, to be tough because uh, there's lots of uncertainty or uh, seeing how this uh, technology will unfold during the, the past, the, during the next couple of years due to what happened with Three Arrows Capital, uh, with Celsius, with uh, Terra. So there's lots of, of, of uncertainty about that. Why, after significant time in Mexico, did you move to Brazil to found Dancia? Yeah, it, it, I had the opportunity to, to to work at companies that were based in Mexico, but working at a global level. And then after being in Brazil and, and seeing how they had different particularities, because Brazil pretty much is 
China for 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 Latin America. And Brazil's GDP is larger, the largest one in in Latin America. And just being around the street of, of Sao Paulo, you can feel that um, that the dynamism of the environment. Just you have conversations with entrepreneurs or businessmen, businessmen in Sao Paulo, businesswomen as well, and they everybody just wants to to help each other. They want to see you succeed. They they you, you have a conversation with them, and it's just asking how I can help you, and just corresponding me how I can help you as well. So it, it, it's just a great business environment. Um, the I had this conversation with Juan BC actually a week ago at the FinTech Happy Hour, and he was telling me that they, they have portfolio companies in Mexico, uh, and they have comp uh, portfolio companies in Brazil as well, but they the things that they are seeing in Mexico have already happened four years ago in Brazil. So they are already in the future. So I think you, even though you have the language uh, barrier, which is like not that big of a hip, hiccup, to be honest, you you want to be where the future is. You want to live there. So it, it was a no-brainer for me after seeing all of that stuff and peaks and, and just the level of, of bank people that, that they have down there just uh, like a no-brainer and once you see this kind of stuff they they can uh, be unseen anymore at bitso you were responsible for the growth strategies in brazil mexico and argentina how did your strategies for growth change within these different markets and why yeah so it was a team of us in charge of of uh, the growth strategies but we had to do lots of deep understanding of the intrinsic motives of our users as in why they were using the, the platform form, which, which were the actual motives of the use of each one of our products. And they gave us, that, that gave us very valuable information as in how we should both approach the, the, the current user base and and see how we could help them leverage the current product offering, but also craft the the next products. And it, it was a very interesting exercise because there, there's different different aspects to it. Uh, you you have uh, these these cohorts that are pretty pretty similar in between between countries, but also they have like different habits and the different ways in in which they manage their money. So you have, you end up like having these two by two matrix in with different cohorts that uh, just behave uh, differently country by country, but also like have certain similarities in, in between them. So it's just, uh, it's just a very interesting uh, thought, thought exercise to do. I read that you launched Bitso's Android trading app. Was there an iPhone equivalent or is this Android first approach common in Latin America? Yeah, yeah. As I as I was uh, saying in the beginning, uh, we also had a, an iPhone, iPhone app. But uh, the thing is that if you go through statistics, you will see that the vast majority of, of users in Latin America have an Android phone. And 
then on the other side, if you also read uh, about uh, how much lifetime value a user from Android versus a user from, from an iPhone have, you end up understanding that an iPhone has a greater, uh, an iPhone user has a greater uh, lifetime value. It doesn't mean that the person with the Android phone just ha has a smaller income, they might have like equal or greater income than, than the user of the iPhone. I, I think it doesn't have anything to do with uh, with the usage of the phone, it's just the, the statistical average of it. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Yeah, that, I love that question. Because, and I think I'm going to circle back to something that I told you earlier. And I think that uh, Latin America is condemned to, to be successful because we're going to leverage super hard uh, the Web3 technology infrastructure. Okay, perfect. Gil, thank you so much for coming on the Simia VC podcast today. Oh, thanks to you. Uh, I, I had a great time here, Drew. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view your podcast.